Dave Plot Podcast. <sighs> Keeping that in? Maybe. <laughs> You're disgusting. Merry Christmas part two, guys. Welcome back to... Merrier Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Die harder. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Vendetta. <laughs> um... Yes, welcome back, guys. This is part two of the Grave Plot Podcast Christmas Extravaganza Spectacular Party. You're overselling. Party house. Party, bro. (laughs) Dude. And Mike Taruto's coming. (laughs) Um, I'm Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. Uh, We hope you joined us again. (laughs) If you're joining us, period. That's cool. Yeah. We're excited. Maybe, Maybe it's your first time. We'll be gentle. We'll just slide it in real slow. Just the tip. You always say just the tip, but it's never just the tip. <laughs> they don't need to know that. <laughs> um. So we hope this Friday finds you well. Tomorrow's Christmas. No, not, t- not tomorrow. Tomorrow's, Tomorrow's Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, going to my grandmother's. Cool, cool. On Christmas Eve? Or yeah. We doing Christmas Day, just hanging at home. Hanging out at home, we usually do like a Skype with uh, my girlfriend's family. Okay. Open presents together. Quote uh, oh, okay. And then we drink mimosas. <laughs> All right. Glug, um, glug, glug, glug. Christmas time, Christmas time. <laughs> drinking on Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, we have to split time with the in-laws, which is fine because they do their Christmas on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I th- may have talked about this before. I don't know. But yeah, but the only problem is, is like they're expecting snow out there because they live like like in Wenatchee. No, 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 it's uh, North Bend. Oh, okay. It's like they're right in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, um, and so it's kind of like when the clouds are too heavy to make it over the mountains, they just they just spill their shit, shit snow yeah. all over. Um, they so, just drop devil's donuts. <laughs> So, like, whereas, you know, where we are in, like, the Puget Sound area, you know, we've got, what, last, was it last week or earlier this week? We got, like, an inch, an maybe. An inch, maybe. Um, they got, like, seven. Holy fuck. Yeah. And it was still snowing when it had stopped here. Fuck that. So, they're expecting snow on Christmas Eve, so that should be fun. I'm Cause dreaming of a white. Not me. Christmas. It's Donald Trump's favorite Christmas song. <laughs> um, it's like if we were there and we stayed there, we'd be fine. But the fact is, we have to drive back home, so we can be here at home on Christmas morning, so we can do our Christmas gift exchange with the two of us, and then go to my parents' house where we do Christmas with my family. So it's a lot of running around in treacherous weather. <laughs> yeah, run, run, Rudolph. That's what they call me. Santa's got to make it to town. It's like that Brian Adams song. Is that Brian Adams? He did a version of it. (laughs) It's the one I know. (laughs) And I guess there's Chuck Berry. He's probably the original. Marvin Berry! (laughs) You know that sound you've been looking for? Um, Yeah. Christmas time. Christmas time, Christmas time, drinking on Christmas. Uh, maybe you guys are listening to us while you're unwrapping presents. Probably not. 
because who would want to listen to us? Who would do that on a Friday morning? (laughs) You know when we should open our presents? Friday the 23rd in the morning. Well, maybe they listen to us on Christmas. Maybe they are. That's the beauty of podcasting, people. You can listen to us whenever you want. It's like, hey, you want to put on some Christmas music? Let's put on the Grave Plot Podcast. (laughs) I like those guys. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I guess we'll get down to business here. Uh, First off, I want to say we mentioned last episode that this is going to be our last our official last episode of the year. Do we need to thank our Patreon patrons again? I think we, yeah, I guess we should. Um, they thanks. give us money, so. <laughs> uh, you guys are getting a bonus one here. Just want you to remember that. Um, but thanks to Max Zaleski, Skeptical Crypto, Kevin Nesgoda, and the Horror Addicts. Love you guys. If you want to become a Patreon patron for the Grave Plot Podcast, Taylor, where can they go? Patreon.com slash Grave Plot Podcast. Yes, and we have different tiers set up. You get a little something-something with each one. Um, so there's that. There it is. Um, so, yes, next year, uh, our first episode's the third? Fourth, I think. Fourth. Um, we're going to be, well, on that episode, we're going to be doing the Grave Plot Awards, which actually turned out really well, guys. Thank yeah, you. but voting is still open. Right. And will, I guess, remain open until... Until the 31st. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, really great turnout with that one. We're really happy with that. Yeah. Um, so thanks to everybody that voted. Uh, so we're going to be doing that on our first episode along with, you know, basically a standard episode. Uh, ongoing, though, you know, we've we've typically picked, aside from um, Octoberama, we've typically always picked newer movies. Um but we're going to kind of change that up. We're gonna, I think we're going to make the show a little more fun. We're going to start doing, I don't like calling them theme episodes because they're not really themes. Um, kind of are. Sort of. But we're going to start incorporating a little, you know, some, some older movies, some, some classics and, you know, movies that have been out a while, not necessarily new ones that you've never heard of. You know, these, these are going to be movies that you may have seen before, ones you've heard about. Um, but I think... Because they're they've been out a while, and you know we're probably a little more at liberty to talk about them in a little more in depth. I think it might make things a little more interesting. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, aside from that, you know, we've always had a pretty solid structure as far as horror business goes. We're gonna be a little more lax on that. We'll still be reporting, but as far as like how much we're having, I don't think we're gonna go in excess of what we've had in the past. But if we have a little less, we're not going to start digging up stories that nobody fucking cares about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that should make the show a little more fun for everyone. Hopefully. Yeah. And you couldn't know, be any worse. <laughs> you know, and, and as always, we're going to try to be just better hosts in general. You know, this is a learning process. Do we try to do that? Huh? Do we try to do that? Don't we? <laughs> I try to be as shitty as possible. Oh, at well, all times. good, good. And I'm, Glad we're canceling each other out then. <laughs> um, but no, we always strive to make a, a quality product. Neither of us have any experience in any kind of recording field or you know radio or anything like that. We're just two assholes that started a podcast, so we're constantly learning yep. how to do a good show. So good enough, huh? Good enough, yeah, passable. <laughs> um, so. That's what we're bringing in 2017. Um, maybe our explanation didn't sound great, but we're hoping for 
a much more fun show. Quite. Uh, so, next order of business, we have Christmas gifts for each other. Yes. We, uh, every, every Christmas episode, we, we do our gift exchange on the air. Yep. And it's totally fun for you guys. Yep. We know that you love listening to it. This year, I'm going to take video and I'm going to put it on Patreon. All right. So there's even more incentive for you to give us money. <laughs> okay. Um, so you're going to go first? I can go first. All right. All right. So I want to state that Taylor has wrapped this present in some really awesome wrapping paper. It's got tacos and tomatoes and avocados uh, with faces. And scarves. And scarves. Some of the tacos have scarves. That's great. I want to save this paper. <laughs> we have more. Can you give me some? No. <laughs> Fuck. It's something firm and floppy. How can it be firm and floppy? It's firm, but it's floppy. <laughs> Podcast <Right>. Radio Gold. <laughs> Try forever. It's still recording. What do we got here? It's a book. It's a book. Ooh, cool. Tell him what it is. It's Kane Hodder's biography. Hey. Awesome. I almost said autobiography, but I forgot he didn't write this. I think he wrote it, like him and the other guy wrote it together. I believe. Oh, yeah. By Kane Hodder and Michael uh, Aloisi. Alouette. Alouette, Jean-Pierre (laughs) Alouette. I am Claude. (laughs) What? I am Claude from France. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody gets this joke. No. <laughs> and we've done it twice now. <laughs> yeah, but it was two different parts, so it counts. <laughs> cool, dude. Thank you. You are welcome. I appreciate that greatly. Okay, here. You got to film me now. Okay. I'm going to film you. Ow! Jesus! <laughs> what the hell happened? You're taking pictures. You want to push the camcorder button. Okay. Is it recording? Yep. Are you sure? So. All right. Tony says to Gaylor. <laughs> I got him. I got him so Because I never heard that in elementary school. Why is this focusing? I don't know, because you're too close. <laughs> Gaylor. <laughs> look, at, look at his stupid face. Idiot. <laughs> okay, I want to say that part of your present has not shown up yet. Right. I'm Again. not fucking into the mic. I keep forgetting. Um, yeah, the place I got it, uh, it's not shipping until January, so... Tony does this every year. I didn't do it on purpose. There is a representation of it in there on top, so. Knife. It's just scotch tape on the other side. Oh. It's a piece of paper! Ah. No fucking way. Yeah. It's the Gremlins Tiki Mug. These things are so fucking cool. From Mondotees.com. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Give us money. <laughs> <laughs> and... A little Sam Christmas ornament. Ah, he's adorable. <laughs> I was like, when I realized that wasn't going to show up in time, I'm like, oh, well, at least I got something to give him. I'm like, oh, it's a fucking ornament. Okay. <laughs> but no, now I can go on my tree. Yeah. And cool. it's still a week before Christmas, so you have time to enjoy it. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you, dude. You're welcome. And yeah, when that shows up, I'll give it to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll keep it. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking to uh, your girlfriend, and she's she... 
mentioned that and you and I had just gotten done talk, talking about it. And she said, uh, I hope you, or I don't know if you were going to get that cup or not, but they're sold out now. I'm like, oh, well, I just bought one. So yeah, they sold out fast. <laughs> yeah, it must have. I'm still dumb. You can press stop at any time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So yeah, if you want to see what our dumb faces look like when we open each other's presents, head over to patreon.com slash graveplotpodcast. I'm wearing a Santa hat and a smiley Christmas tree shirt. He <laughs> is. It's, it's a fact. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> you gotta cut the sleeves off, though. I'm not gonna cut the sleeves off. Do it. Cut the sleeves off. I'm not a sleeveless guy. Um. Anyway, keep your taco paper. <laughs> so gonna keep it. I'm gonna wrap something else in it. Maybe. Probably not. All right, on to the good stuff. <laughs> is it, Enough is, of this touchy-feely shit. <laughs> is there good stuff? Uh, we didn't talk. Do, do we want to do interview or re- review first? Let's do the interview first. Okay. Because when Craig's inside, we'll party all damn night. I don't turn water into wine, but into cold Coors Light. I'm not my brother, I know. Don't walk on H2O. But I got hydroponic shit that me and Judas grow. I'm fucking Craig. Hey everyone, you're Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. Today we are with a special guest. It's our first interview in a long, long time. In a while, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had people live with us in studio on the show, but we haven't done an uh, actual phone interview in quite some time. I think this is our, our largest distance between... Oh, definitely. Um, because coming to us all the way from Sydney, Australia... Uh, we're here with Craig Anderson, the director of Red Christmas, which we're actually going to be talking about later in the episode. How you doing, Craig? I'm good. How are you guys? Not too shabby. Can't complain. Cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're cold? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's 31 degrees here. It's winter for us. <laughs> oh, man. We're going through heat waves here in Sydney, Australia. Probably yeah. It's I, very hot. I was looking, you're, what, around 14, somewhere in there? Celsius? 14. Yeah, degrees. yeah, near forty, which is, um, I don't know what it is for you guys. Will be about a hundred, over a hundred here. Oh, was it? Is really? it really that hot? Yeah, yeah, it's been very uh, like we had our hottest Sydney night ever, two nights ago. Really? Wow. Okay, yeah. yeah I was just looking at my app on my phone. It's saying that, <laughs> that it's nineteen degrees Celsius there, and it is. Uh oh. Hello? Hey, sorry about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened. What happened? Um, okay, but I guess that must have been in my queue that we were getting off on a tangent. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so I, I guess maybe we just start off with some just basic questions and maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into the industry. For sure. Uh, so, I guess... You know, I mean, a lot of people say that their their inspirations started when they were were kids. I mean, did you have like childhood inspirations? <laughs> um, I did. I did. I was. Uh, we in Australia didn't have um, many. Uh, what am I thinking? I as a personally, my parents wouldn't let me watch horror movies as a kid, oh. so I used to go to the library and read lots of books all about horror movies. So I was pretty much 18 by the time I got to Seoul 
I got to see any good horror movie. And by then, I was kind of desensitized, which was really bizarre. Hmm. Although I do remember Night of the Living Dead and The Exorcist as two films that, even when I was like 18 or 19, still scared me. I have no idea why. But all of the traditional 80s slasher films that I was meant to see when I was young in the 80s, I didn't get to see, and I just read about them a lot in magazines and books. So I've always had this passion to watch horror movies, to, you know, get into horror movies, mm-hmm. and it's never let let go. But in Australia, we don't make – I mean, we've made some horror movies, but maybe we've made 10 in our history. <laughs> so that's – you know, it's not like an industry. I can't walk into Tom Savini's workshop and say, let's make a movie. In Australia – we have television and commercials. So I started in television in comedy and doing lots of comedy stuff. And I kind of think horror and comedy are kind of related. Oh, they definitely yeah. do. you got to have kind of a, <clears throat> a certain kind of uh, cynicism and a, an ability to kind of laugh at yourself, I guess, for, for both genres. Yeah, I think of just clowns. The way clowns will get on stage and do things that make you laugh. But when you think about what they're doing... They're kind of nuts. You know, they're smashing the <laughs> shit out of each other and um, throwing stuff and getting hurt and falling down. And when you watch a slasher film, I get the same sensation. You know, it's like bloody and visceral and about the body and it's getting smashed. And But people are laughing. You go to the cinema to watch a horror movie where people get murdered <laughs> and everyone laughs, which is really weird to think about that. You know, it's not like watching Shinless. People don't crack up during those scenes. Right. But in a horror movie, you're allowed to laugh at that stuff. So I often think that horror and comedy are related. Oh, and also satirically, the way that satire works in comedy, it often works the same way in, in horror movies, I think, that uh, horror will allow you to get stuck into a subject. Um, and, that, you know, that goes all the way back to Dante. What is that book? Inferno? Where he's talking the, about divine comedy. He's he's it, yeah, the one where he's describing hell and he's just making fun of uh, people in his town essentially, mm-hmm. and then he got kicked out of town after he <laughs> did it. But I think that horror films, even in like dodgy horror films, like that aren't considered great works of art, like Saw Six or Seven, <laughs> people get punished based on their profession. And Hellraiser Three, the Cenobites, they get punished. You know, like a guy who does a, is a DJ, like at a crap club, <laughs> he comes back with CDs, you know, and shooting CDs out of his mouth. But also his eternal torture is the CD stuck in his head. So I often think that horror has the same ability to make fun of things as, as um, comedy does, to, to attack targets and go, what is this? Hipsters. <laughs> uh, let's make fun of hipsters. Let's, you know, get stuck into them and explore them. And like in the 70s, all those films that did, uh, they're called now Southern Discomfort Films, where it's rednecks versus city folk. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I often find them as satirical, making fun of sometimes even the city, like the people from the city have lost their way and become weak and have forgotten how to be on the land and the rednecks are there to show them how to do that and also we, kill them. We call those <laughs> Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely cornered the market nowadays. No kidding. Yeah. So what what was the first so, yeah, horror I, movie you saw? I, sorry. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I tell you what, the, the no, the first horror movie wasn't even a movie. It was Michael Jackson's thriller. 
<laughs> and as a kid, they always showed the cut down version because, you know, that's like a 13 minute film, mm. but they always would just show the zombies dancing. And once you see zombies dancing, and unfortunately, that was my first experience with zombies, but I was still scared of the, the guys in that film, but they were dancing. So yeah. they're not as scared anymore, you know? And then my uncle showed me the full length clip, which involved the werewolf scene. And the transformation of Michael into a werewolf. Yeah. And it's got all those awesome things that, what is it, Landis had done in, uh, did he, he did American Werewolf, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. John Landis? Yeah, yeah, with, with that awesome so, Rob guy who does special effects. Like, Rick and Baker. so Michael's got Rick Baker and, um, yeah, his protege guy. And they've got those balloons in Michael's face that are pulsating. It just blew my mind. It was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Um, and that was the first time I ever saw horror, and it was Michael Jackson. So, you know, it was kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good starting place, I think. I mean, that's it, it often gets overlooked as any kind of film, and more just like a music video. But I mean, that it had all the elements of a good horror movie. Yeah, and you know, and people forget about the ending of that with the the house invasion by, by the zombies and Michael. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael's turned. That's right. That's because the girl's scared then, and Michael's not scared. Mm-hmm. Such a bizarre guy. And then that reverend made him put the um, the thing at the beginning of the movie saying, "I don't believe in the occult," <laughs> right. which is kind of such a weird thing to to put at the beginning of a horror movie to say that this doesn't reflect my personal opinions. Like I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie like often it's the opposite where people go. This might be a true story, but right, right. in Michael's case, he, he felt so weird and guilty because he's weird, you know, Christian guy, that Reverend yeah, Jesse James, I think. Uh, oh, not oh, to, Jesse not to uh, Jackson. Jackson, thank you. Jesse Jackson, Jackson, yeah. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, we see a lot of that, and I think it's mainly here in the, in the States that a lot of people have that, yeah, that just that never-ending Christian guilt um, and when we try to stay away from religion, religious talk and politics on the show as much as we can, but I mean that's that's an ongoing thing in this yeah, country. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I um, I'm aware of that, <laughs> but in Australia we're very we're much more laid back about those things. It doesn't become such a discussion, and yeah. also Australians have a weird uh, way of telling each other to shut up and not worry about it. There's, <laughs> there's a phrase we use often called no worries, mate, which means you've said enough about this political problem. <laughs> let's stop worrying about it and let's move on. And, and it's, it often is spoken in, in uh, discussions where people go, oh, all right, no worries, mate. Like that's the end of this chat. Whereas in America, it leads to people killing each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. So – you know, which in, in, in one way is better, in a, not that people are dying, but in that people care enough to – are passionate about opinions. In Australia, people often just clock out at about 30% going, yeah, this is just going to lead to bad stuff. Let's just stop and the end of the discussion. So <laughs> in America, at least it's sort of discussed a little bit more. I guess the, the difference is we don't have as many guns. So yeah, yeah okay. it often leads to bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how all the the negativity about, you know, well, I mean, we can mainly speak about our country is they all seem to have this common thread where they can all like kind of be tied together by one thing or another. It's just, mm. just lots of negativity. 
<laughs> anyway. Um, so oh, I'm sorry to bring the show down. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not often we get to talk about our politics with somebody from another country. So, <laughs> dude. Um, anyway, so you mentioned that you, you come primarily from a kind of uh, comedic background. So, uh, I mean, you talked about like an early love of horror, but what decided, what made you decide, okay, now is what I'm going to do horror. Excuse me. Um, what, what made me, I've always loved horror and that would be, yeah, the first thing I would have done was make a horror film if I knew how to do it. I went to university or college to study acting and theater and, that is not a place where you learn how to make horror movies. And I don't know if there is a place where you learn to make horror movies. I think you just make them is what I've worked out from most movies in the world. And even famous, you know, like Peter Jackson in, in New Zealand in the 80s, he didn't go to no school. Right. <laughs> he just started making bizarre, you know, bad taste and uh, just crazy slasher films just by mucking around and working out how things done. And he read lots of books about how to do prosthetics and he would bake them in his mum's oven. And there are so many awesome stories that I got inspired by just recently, like in the last few years, where I started researching horror movies made by now very famous directors and how they did them themselves just by uh, practice and um, experimentation. So I, I was inspired by that, thinking, well, I've never learned how and I've always been scared to, but it's what I really love to do. So I I've been lucky enough to be a director in comedy and television here so i'd work with lots of actors and i've made enough friends with crew to say hey guys will you help me make a film and fortunately most people said yes and were not uh, afraid to come on and make one with me so then i got to writing and when i finished writing i just uh, i went for it and um did it in much the same way just a big house with a bunch of people and uh, started killing him <laughs> one one by one yeah fun it's you know we always talk about on the yeah. show that when when you're making a horror movie you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just kind of you know stick to a formula and then you make it interesting from there well that's another thing i collect vhs tapes i um when they started to close down the video stores in australia the videos became a dollar and i'm sure it's the same thing in the states yeah and i started buying them and now i've got eleven thousand. wow jesus of Every genre, my horror collection is about 800, but I would just watch movies. And <laughs> the great thing about VHS is it didn't really matter if the film was good sometimes. And, you know, and sometimes there are really famous works on VHS that I discover just because I don't go on the internet to follow film stuff much. I just put on a tape and go, oh, this is a cool movie. And then I find out it's by a famous person. But then other times I'll just watch a random movie that no one's heard about. That's a, a, you know, a weird New York underground slasher, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic and inspiring, and you can tell how they did it. Like, there's no, there's no magic to it. It's just, well, this person wants to get to this point, and in the way of them are ten human beings, so they're <laughs> going to start killing them, and that's the end of the story. There's no great thought behind it, and it just occurs. And then all of the fun stuff is how do you show the audience? those 10 people dying and how do you get to that point? And I just was inspired by, wow, if that's how easy it can be, maybe I can do one. 
that's that's one of the things and i love yeah. about horror and, and especially slashers is it's it you know there's no there doesn't have to be this deeper meaning and you don't have to sit there and think about it and ponder what's going on it, it's just it just is yeah yeah no it, it's great like that and that's the same with clowns <laughs> and comedy shows where people are just doing a bit and you just know yeah i know what this is you're about to get smashed let's do it it's fun and if you do those smashes in enough, you know, in 90 minutes, if you do those smashes in, in good ways and you make it fun, then, yeah, you've got a movie. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be about anything. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, Red Christmas. Um, so it's uh, just – it's did a, did a bunch of festival runs um, and it just – you actually haven't had a wide release yet, right? No, not at all. I See, that's the, the sad thing about – Filmmaking, I don't understand any of that. <laughs> I know in television, a network in you know Australia will ask me to do something and I'll make it, and then they put it on TV, and that's that. You know, it screens to a couple of million people, and no more problem. Mm-hmm. But with film, I stupidly made one going, Well, now what? What the <laughs> hell do you do with it? Like, I always assumed if you made a film like that, you put it into a festival, people saw it, someone somewhere would buy it and go. Let's put it in cinemas. <laughs> yeah. But nowadays, those, that's really changing. And this year, I went to the American film market in Santa Monica in November and just learned and heard so many stories of how that's not how things are working anymore. Mm-hmm. Like even from five years ago, a film similar to mine and an Australian film, a horror, low-budget horror movie, would get picked up by a distributor for – a quarter of a million dollars and then they would start distributing it worldwide and sometimes get get a cinema release but that was five years ago and that doesn't even happen anymore things uh, the money where people used to be able to make off films has really dropped off but i'm talking about micro budget horror films and the the cool thing at going going to festivals and getting to go being in a festival is seeing lots of awesome low budget horror movies it's it's excellent and so many films where i go i love that movie i would want to see that but it will never be in a cinema which is sad but yeah. that's the way the the current market is the only things that are filling up cinemas are massive blockbusters that are over 100 million dollars and based on existing ip like marvel comic books and you know uh harry potter books or horror films that are marketed heavily Mm-hmm. So they have to be extremely – this is a weird word to use – safe. <laughs> yeah. Horror films that are, are safe, you know. You have that PG-13 rating, uh, and I know maybe not many horror films in your cinemas have that. But oh, too I've many. Seen, you see too many good because you see too many. We don't have that rating system here, so I can't compare it. But I know when I watch a lot of these mainstream horrors that get cinema releases, they're really soft. You know, yeah. they're really – They've destroyed the thing that used to be good. There's no gore. There's no laugh at how ridiculous. Most of the time I'm laughing at how bad the acting is, and that's like a sad (laughs) state of affairs. That's what I should be doing when I'm watching, you know, the tackiest of horror films, not the ones in cinemas. I'm watching at bad plot devices in in movies. So things have kind of changed and shifted, and that's what I've learned this year is that when I make another movie, you have to do it hand in hand with the big people that release stuff so you're making something they want to make hopefully not a crappy safe movie 
but at least a movie that um, will get some some releases around the world. Not that's sorry, I'm sounding all doom and gloom. I have just sold the <laughs> film to a sales agent who is going to release it, and so it'll get distributed in the states, awesome. but probably oh, not the Yeah, it'll it'll be on DVD in most countries, and and you know, and be online everywhere. So yeah, that's all happening next year. So sorry <laughs> to answer your question in a much more uh, polite and quicker way. Yeah, it'll be out next year. <laughs> <laughs> We we do we appreciate the sentiment though because we on this show we lament the slow death of the you know hardcore R rated horror movies because you've just got all these PG thirteen lowest common denominator just out to make money horror films and it's it's sad yeah yeah and we yeah I mean, the, we and talk- the, sorry good oh no no I I totally agree and the formula like it's just good looking people with loud bangs yep like nothing's going on in these films. <laughs> I might as well go to an escape house with a model and then watch her turn around and be scared all the time. Like, nothing's happening. Well, I mean, that that, that doesn't sound bad at all. Yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> that sounds like my first date, always. Yeah. Um, but no, what I was going to say is that um, we've talked about that exact subject on the show so many times is that so many filmmakers just to get their films released will compromise and they'll take an R movie and cut it down to a PG-13 uh, just to appease the MPAA, uh, yeah. which is just ridiculous. I mean, to 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 bend over backwards to appeal to uh, a board of you know executives that decide, oh well, this movie gets this rating, only these people can see this movie, you know, that kind of shit. It's just ridiculous, mm. and it totally. I, I think it attacks you know um, smaller genres like horror more than you would like a, a family movie. Or a drama. I mean, like it's it's probably easy yeah. as cake to get an R-rated drama movie made, but to do one with horror, where people are possibly getting uh, attacked and you know dismembered, then that's when those uh, those rating agencies really start to come down hard on it. I think. Yeah, it sort of ends up everyone makes the same weak film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is weird. But the the sad the, the the filmmakers I think are in a weird situation in that if they don't appease the, the ratings board, they also don't get the power behind them to have their film marketed. So the cool thing about festivals is I see a lot of films that are extreme and doing exactly what we want them to do. We us three want them to do, <laughs> which is be gory and violent and over the top and ridiculous. But they, how would I describe? But they would never get the money and the support of the infrastructure, the, the distributors behind them, because they know that those films won't make the ratings. So it's a weird situation because if you want your film to be seen, you kind of have to sell out uh, to, to the devil and make <laughs> a, a lesser version of the idea of the, you know, the execution to, yeah. to get it seen. But the, the sad thing is maybe that's – I don't want to sound like a – yeah, okay – Maybe that's what you have to do because the, the the ones that are very gory never get seen. They might be seen by 500 to 1,000 people because no sales agent wants to touch it because they know that international TV sales will be hurt and that they won't be able to put it on DVD in Uzbekistan mm-hmm. because it's got too much gore, so they won't pick it up. And it means that the poor filmmaker who made a film that was extremely gory is being taught, if you make that type of film, there's no market for it, which is really weird because – I, you, and both of you, we all want to see that movie, but yeah. it's not profitable, 
And so it's hard. It's like a bad situation. The cool thing about VHS in the 80s was the gorier and the crazier the better because you could just put it on a tape and sell it and get $30 for that tape. And then you'd be making the money. Nowadays, you put it online and if it's gory and crazy, you got to uh, just hope people pirate it. And that's the only way it's going to get out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've actually a weird... heard a lot of that kind of conversation um, on, like, you, not not necessarily us, but like, you know, the other podcasts that are done by other filmmakers, um, where they say it's like, you know, it's it's, you know, you don't want your film to be pirated because then you're not getting paid for it. But at the same time, if it gets pirated, at least people are watching it. So it's like, yeah. you know, which which is the lesser evil, I guess. Yeah, and it's a shame because. Hollywood doesn't really look at pirated numbers. <laughs> right. You can't go to them and say, hey, look, this Australian film called Wormwood was pirated a million times. <laughs> can't uh, can't we get him money for another movie? You know, they go, no, we trying to – we hate pirates. We won't listen to you. So right. until they start accepting those <laughs> pirated numbers, it's hard to even impress anyone with that, other than the people who watch your film, and you can be excited that people are seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know we've yeah. – we've- just you know, because we do reviews on the show, um, we've heard of so many movies that we wanted to review, and they they just nothing ever comes of them. It's like we know the films exist, but they're never at a point where we can actually see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I saw you last week. You guys did all the two weeks ago. You did Greasy Strangler, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a film I love from Fizzles. Just it's off the charts. It is crazy. fucking bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know th- thinking back to it i think i rated it maybe a little harshly than i should have or a little more harshly oh, that's her. but it's like thinking back to it it's like yeah the movie's fucking off the wall and just weird and doesn't make any sense but it was actually kind of funny. it's entertaining yeah it's, yeah it's like i at the time i didn't think i'd ever watch it again but thinking back on it it's like maybe i will now i kind of want to yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good film. i think i'd watch it with people who haven't seen it before to yeah, get excited yeah. by their reactions and stuff. <laughs> and But I was speaking to the producer of that, and he said it took six months to get a, to get anyone to be represented as an agent, wow, which is really? such a weird idea to me because it's such a bold – it's like the neon demon of trash. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, surely there's a market for that. People want to see that. It sounds like – um, it's like a freak show. You want to see it. You know, why wouldn't that film, The Greasy Strangler, get – Someone buy it, but yeah, it took him six months to find someone who would represent it as a sales agent. So, it, yeah, it, it's happening a lot that uh, crazy outlying ideas haven't found a place to reach their audience yet, uh, other than pirates. <laughs> Pirating. Well, people fear change. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, it'll change. <laughs> so, so okay, Red Christmas. Um, when when did yes, sorry when did that start? Like, when did you, like, get the idea and start writing it and just all that? Sure. It was two years ago, and I was just writing a list of stupid ideas for movies. And <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, in the in the modern world, and I, there was an awesome guy in charge of Amazon who did this great speech. And on the speech, it said, movies aren't the dominant form of entertainment anymore. So we're already up against it when you make a movie. But also you now compete with every film in the world ever made because of the digital landscape. If someone wants to watch Silent Night, Deadly Night, they can. You know, we used to be able to do it on VHS, but 
now you can watch Christmas Evil, which was really hard to get on VHS, mm-hmm. or just random films that have been you thought were lost are now out there in the digital realm, and you you can buy them, and you're competing with them. Let alone competing with Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. You know, like uh, your film now has to compete with that because that's also on Netflix or Amazon or wherever that you can buy them at the same time. So it's not like people are going to the new release shelf at the video store looking for your horror film. They have to go to the genre called horror where all the best ones already exist. So it's much harder to come up with an idea that's going to cut through. So on my list of stupid things, so I figured instead of trying to come up with genius things, just as worthy are the dumbest ideas because dumb ideas often work. Like I think of... um, Larry Cohen or Frankenhooker or any of those wacky films where I go, well, that's a ridiculous idea for a film, but it exists in my mind because it's so stupid. I think of the VHS cover of Frankenhooker, you know, or any of those things that are so dumb, they become a thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like a dumb idea, like a meme almost. So I was writing bad ideas, stupid ideas, and one of them was uh, a guy who survives, like a fetus survives its own abortion and comes back to kill its family. And that's where the idea for Red Christmas started. And I wrote a draft that was kind of lame and very <laughs> similar to a, um, like a puppeted, like child's play meets it's alive, you know, like a weird little thing killing around the house. Like, a, I think you had Thanksgiving like an actual fetus running the, around? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of a puppet type thing, but it was it didn't make sense and it was just sort of weird and then when I read it it didn't really fit with what I wanted to make for my first movie. It was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like too over the top. But I I'd always loved the Elephant Man and I always thought, well, from what I was reading about people who do survive abortions, <laughs> I should I should ex- that's what my movie's about if you don't know. It's about a guy who survives his own abortion. Or in, 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 as it plays out in the movie, a right-wing extremist blows up the abortion clinic at the same time as the abortion is happening and causing the fetus to be uh, viably uh, still alive. It's, it's lost over in the thing, but I did all this weird research that I thought, man, if I show that on the screen, <laughs> people are going to stop watching um, <laughs> uh, because... I also, when I started, when I realized I'm writing an abortion horror, I started watching lots of um, documentaries about abortion. And my favorite one is a film by Tony Kay, and he made American History X. And he then went on, after American History X, um, to make a two-and-a-half-hour documentary that took him 15 years, and it's called Lake of Fire. And it's amazing. It's black and white, and it's it looks at both sides of the debate. And also, it starts to, by the end, show you sides that you don't think about. So Noam Chomsky, the philosopher's discussing where do you draw the line? Like in the future, we'll be able to take a fleck of dust and extract the DNA and create a human being out of it. So therefore, if you use a vacuum, are you pro-choice? Right. <laughs> you know, because you're destroying the DNA material that could cause a life to exist in the future. So therefore, you know, and then the, at the other end, the philosophers who talk about 
a child isn't really sentient or doesn't really have a personality until it's three years old. So maybe you could start aborting children when they're under three. You know, so there's like really – the whole debate is more about where you personally draw the line, whether it's the dust or whether it's a three-year-old. And it's usually somewhere in the middle, and that's what causes so much drama and debate and death in, in the world um, – where because people have chosen a different point to draw the line, you know, like the popes uh, in the eighties saying it's it's condoms, it's where you don't let the sperm leave right. the the body into another body. So if you use a condom, you're committing a mortal sin. So there's lots of bizarre. I think had a song about ex- that. Yeah, every <laughs> every sperm is sacred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 a bizarre state of affairs because it's personal opinion on really crazy discussions on sex and on on life and Christianity and religion. So I was really excited that there's so many things to discuss in that, that a little puppet running around knifing people wasn't <laughs> going to cut it. So I made it an adult and I put it in amongst a family of grown-up people who can represent different parts of that discussion on abortion. Mm-hmm. And so that's the film I made. And then I wrote it a couple of times. I did workshops with women because I thought it would be horrible to make a movie that makes people go, you hate women, <laughs> and you're trying to scare them into not having an abortion because I thought that that's a bit rough because of all the documentaries, I watched like uh, 80 documentaries on abortion, and the general thing is men telling women what to do and telling women you have to you know, have an abortion, uh, you can't have an abortion. And I thought, I don't want to be another one of those dudes who I don't like when I watch these documentaries who mm-hmm. are telling women what to do. So I want to make sure that when I write it, I have a lot of women read it and discuss it. And so I did that a lot. And in the end, the idea of making, um, there's a thing that the pro-life people do. And that's if you personify the fetus, if you turn it into a human being, you're making a pro-life statement because it's hard to kill a human being. And most people agree it's wrong to kill a human being. So I knew that by having the guy 20 years old, even though he wears a hood and murders people, <laughs> he still represents a pro-life narrative because it was a fetus and now it's a human being and to kill it is, you know, as bad as him killing the others in the movie. So that is kind of like a, a, a weird philosophical problem in that to make this movie, it has to kind of have it can be read by pro-life people as a pro-life film, but I, that's why I also have a, a priest in the movie, a preacher, who is secretly gay. So I thought that would be good because then audiences, if you're in a Bible study group and you're watching this slasher and you're trying to use it as a tool to say abortion's wrong, you can also explain why the preacher is secretly gay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a, as a way to say, screw you, you can explain that as well. <laughs> So yeah, that's that. And then I wrote it a couple of times, and I I love a movie called The Family Stone, which is like a romantic comedy with Sarah Jessica Parker, and I think that's just a great Christmas movie, and was inspired by that. So I wrote a lot of the characters to kind of fit that, and I imagined what if The Family Stone was happening, but then a killer turned up at the door, like the Elephant Man, and who talks like the Elephant Man. They treat him badly, they kick him out, and then he comes back and kills everyone. So that's the idea of the film. It's an interesting, like, combination of ideas. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it kind of idiotic. Uh, <laughs> it's okay to say that. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. I mean, honestly, what drew me to this was all the pictures. Uh, I mean, what drew me to want to see the film in the first place was the picture I saw floating around the internet of all the, the kills. And, you know, I, I'm... I'm more visual person. Like if the story is yes. kind of lacking, I don't really notice it all that much. Um, yeah. So it's like when I see pictures that look awesome, I'm like, okay, I want to see that movie. Um, and so I forgot where I was going with that. How'd I start? <laughs> I lost my place. You'd like the pictures. Oh, no, well, I mean, you're the, the visuals, uh, well, the visuals, it's because that's the story and it's mm. all, convoluted and full of abortion debate but at the end of the day it's a family having christmas and then a bad guy starts killing them so right that's when we're on set and i wanted to have fun with that and i love 70s giallo uh, italian horror films so that was a big reference point for the whole second half of the film once the bad guy turns the lights off and then turns them back on everything goes into this weird crazy colorful world of murder yeah and um i love that that looked so cool <laughs> and like it, uh, it was a definitely like a great throwback look bitch! howdy sorry hey sorry i don't know one of us has a shitty connection uh, i guess i'm sorry uh pr- probably me <laughs> uh so yeah <laughs> The idea of it was that the Christmas tree was like uh, each room in the house has a different color, like a, a different branch of the Christmas tree. But it also looks very much like Siberia. In fact, every time we went to light one of those rooms on the call sheet, it would say Suspiria lighting <laughs> to remind us to just <laughs> to put a colorful gel on every light in the room. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. very effective to um, convey – I don't know, like – Maybe maybe it's just me, but like uh, really deeply colored rooms like that, you know, lighting wise, it always makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially red, like <laughs> like a, a red lit room makes me like it makes me sweat. Like I just get so uncomfortable. I don't know why. It's something deeply mm-hmm. psychological, I guess. But um, so yeah, it was definitely an effective look. I think Taylor, you look like you want to say something. I'm just wondering where this red light thing came from. I have no idea. (laughs) Like, as far back as I can remember, I was just like, I always hated being in a room that was lit by red light. (laughs) That's weird. I I can't understand. I don't understand it. Oh, man. I think of whenever there's a film, like in a horror movie, it's kind of expected. But whenever they go in a movie to a photographer's dark room and it's red. Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I find it very disconcerting because it happens in normal films, like not in horror films where someone just goes into a room, shuts a door and switches on a red light. Yeah. Like uh, what's what's that movie, Lipstick? The one with Chris Sarandon where he's the – it's 1980, I think, and Hemingway and he kills the girl. It's based on um, the murder of that Playboy model. But it's it's like a bizarre film where he also has a tape player that plays pigeon noises when he rapes the um, Mario Hemingway. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's an awesomely sinister film, but he also is a photographer. And I think he goes in, there's a scene where he switches on the red light and it is disconcerting. Yeah. yeah I agree. And then the green light makes me think of um, like night vision. 
Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I'd never. Why? Hey. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um. Anyway, so okay, so the 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 theme of the movie is it's I mean it's deeply political, but it sounds like you didn't really intend it to be. It was more just a uh, a plot device, I guess, right? Yeah, like I don't. Um, the idea of the movie is that it could sit on either side, mm-hmm. um, which, which is such a does. hard thing. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that you can feel conflicted by the end as to what you're supposed to think of the film, which is really weird because, okay, you know, horror films don't do that that often. Usually, it's like uh, this bad guy wants to kill these people because he's a bad guy. And bad guys are bad guys, and evil is evil. But occasionally, and you, you look at Friday the 13th, the way Jason shifts um, in the first and second, I mean, it's his mum in the first, but the way it shifts from he's the bad guy to now he's the hero, <laughs> he's like a weird <laughs> anti-hero. Like, I think by number six or seven, you don't even need to meet the kids. It's not important. You're yeah. just there to watch Jason be a hero. And stab people because they're being jerks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a weird feeling to be behind Jason Voorhees <laughs> to be supporting the guy who's meant to be, you know, sinister and evil. And I like that idea of horror fans. I think horror fans are good people in a way because they can get behind the things that are meant to be evil or broken or wrong or you know, and sometimes considered freaks. Um, and that's like a thing in my film is, you know, Cletus is definitely a freak. He's survived an abortion and he's got palsy and Down syndrome and a whole bunch of stuff that makes him not speak right. And um, by the end, it's good to talk to audiences who watch the movie and to have people come up to me. And it's awesome because they always do it in private. They get me alone and they say, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about the bad guy. Which is, you know, a cool thing because that's how I want people to think about it. Um, in that there are no black and white uh, answers. And that's one thing that I learned from the Tony K documentary is that there is no simple, you know, drawing a line is what extremists do. People who go, oh, I want to blow things up. They have very easy to understand wrong and right. But I think people who are I like more to hang out with and audiences that I like and movies that I like don't make it as easy to understand what's wrong or right. Make mm-hmm. it vague. Yeah. So, yeah, in answer to your question, it doesn't, you know, there's a political stuff all throughout, like we woven in. But when it came to making it, and that's the good thing about writing, is that I spent ye- like two years writing it. And so when it came to making it, all of that thought was out the window and it was purely how do we make this cool? How do we make this fun? How do we, you know, proceed based on let's do fun deaths? You know, all of that stuff is what becomes important when it, it's time to make the film. And sometimes I think films can fail when they're trying to put that in into the movie. Like, you know, if there were like weird art director had put in some posters in the background to try and make a point would be like a weird thing to have happen. And you see it in, you know, in bad movies or, or didactic movies like uh, films that are made by uh, for Christian audiences will have really heavily 
heavy symbols in them that don't make sense and you often laugh at them. <laughs> That's the worst is when you just get bludgeoned with a message and it's like, okay, we get we get the message. Let's just move on and yeah. have a movie. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'd prefer someone to sit on a chair and just explain the message for two minutes and then move on to the yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So your your leading lady is uh, kind of America's sweetheart, and uh, like, uh, <laughs> you think everyone is America's sweetheart, aren't they? <laughs> Why can't everybody be America's sweetheart? Um, but uh, Dee Wallace, who's obviously she's she's an American actress, but also like just this decades long career of being kind of a scream queen. Uh, how was it working with her, and like how did you get hooked up with her? Oh man, D, first of all, Dee's awesome. Like she's so nice and cool. I just had dinner with her recently in in um in LA. Uh, yeah, like two weeks ago, she took me out for dinner. She's the nicest woman. And um, how did I get? Okay, so there's a 1974 movie called Black Christmas, and it doesn't have Dee Wallace in it, but it does have Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder, and it's Canadian and it's made by a director called Bob Clark. And mm-hmm. it's and it's a film that um, John Carpenter loved, and was talking to Bob Clark about Halloween as a, a like a kind of sequel to Black Christmas in a way. Like they were discussing how to do an anthology, almost using Black Christmas as a model. Mm-hmm. So it's it, people call it the proto slasher, like one of the first slashes, and I'm sure you guys have seen it. Yeah. And it's great, and it's one of the only movies, horror movies, that has a woman, Olivia Hussey's character, is going to have an abortion in that movie. And it causes her boyfriend, the pianist, to go mental. And he's <laughs> getting angry. And then you don't know if he's the killer or if it's the guy in the attic is killing everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's still kind of, you know, it's a little bit vague right at the end as well. So I often thought that Black Christmas, and I, my film's called Red Christmas, so I wanted to show an association between that uh, abortion storyline in that with my film. And so the first port of call for me when I was casting was definitely have a woman who's in her 60s who's famous for being in horror movies in the 70s or 80s. Because I thought the cool thing would be to see a woman who goes through that teenage version of being a horror screen queen. How does she do it when she's in her 60s? So my, I did approach Olivia Hussey first and say, will you be in my bizarre abortion horror film? <laughs> And she went, no, <laughs> go away. <laughs> You're an idiot. Leave me alone. And she's also become a very um, – she played Mother Teresa and Mary Magdalene and has become – I think she's a, like a big Christian woman now. So mm. my film was definitely not for her. So after that, I started looking – I did up a list of famous scream queens, women who'd been in horror who would be awesome to see how they went through it in the in the in their teenage years as a horror woman and then how does she do it in her 60s and d was on that list and i had a friend who writes with fangoria who was able to contact d for me and say this guy's not that insane <laughs> <laughs> have a look at the script and she did she read the script and she liked it well I sh- she loved it is what she told me so she was all, she was cool with it and, and you know i knew that Women in their 60s, in just in film, they don't get to play much more than grandmothers or, you know, friendly mentors. Like, sure. it's really boring, you know, and she's doing that now on an Amazon kids show where she plays the grandmother to um, some kids in a show called 
just add magic. <laughs> and she's just, you know, like um, a kind grandmother that pops into scenes. But she, you know, is capable of so much more. Have you, you guys have seen Cujo? Yeah, obviously? of course. Yeah. You know, she's amazing in that. And I that, that was also a good thing is that a lot of slasher um, actresses, they may not be the best actors. They were cast for other reasons at the time because they were young and, you know, fresh and beautiful and willing to take their clothes as off. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> happy to appear naked. But as they've gotten older, they're not, you know, they, they may not be such crash on actors, but Dee's like a real good actor. So getting her to read the script was excellent. And then we did a Skype call and she had one note, which was great, but she said she would do it even if I didn't adjust that note. But I ended up taking on her point of view because here's the thing. When you work, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, she's done 200 films. If she's telling you stories from Stephen King and Peter Jackson and Wes Craven, you listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> you figure, well, you know, she's done all this. She's worked with Spielberg. If she's telling me something that she's learnt about that will be bad for the film, I'm probably going to have to listen. Mm-hmm. And I should, t- I'll tell you guys, it was I had written a child into the movie, and that um, a, a, like a six-year-old girl, and that the first murder would be hers, and she she would you know get an axe through the head. And Dee said, if you do that, people are going to have trouble with it. <laughs> that more so, you know, even horror audiences, those who are family, have kids, will have a different reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And she explained uh, that when she did Cujo, um, they had to be careful about how to represent the dog. And that when it screened in, in, in London to the British press, they – they got in late and they missed the first part of the movie where the dog is bitten by a bat and gets rabies. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know that it was like a sad story that the dog is, you know, tragically pushed to kill because it has rabies. They just watched it as, why is this dog evil? So when Cujo came out in England, it got all these really weird and, and bad reviews saying the dog is evil for no reason. And it's because the critics came in late and missed the opening. is stuck in the car and the dog's trying to kill her but the dog is like a sad state of affairs as well so she said that's the kind of reaction you'll get when you kill a child and then i asked some academics who write about horror movies and they all tended to agree with d and said you know some movies like the bird with the crystal plumage is a great movie but everyone remembers it as the movie where the kid dies <laughs> and pointed to i spoke to a guy who happened to be australian who was writing a thesis about killing children on screen and he was great but the whole the whole thing was that if you do want to kill a kid on screen and i actually i went and watched a whole bunch of friday the 13th and even though it's set at a school a camp for children <laughs> no kid ever gets killed it's always teenagers yeah you know which is bizarre like the, how many 10 11 films and it's set at a place where there's hundreds of kids <laughs> and Jason never killed a kid on camera. Like it's such a weird thought. Yeah. I don't, you know, especially in like part six where he has like plenty of opportunity to do it and he just walks out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just leaves them alone. And it's like, well, that's, that speaks to that point that if you kill a kid on screen, it's a different thing. And the, the vibe was if you kill a kid, it's meant to mean something very big. Yeah. Like there's an Alfred Hitchcock film where he did it in Britain, where he kills a kid, blows him up in a film called Sabotage. 
but it's a massive turning point to the film and it means so much to do it. And even when he did do it, he got that's one of the reasons he left England and went to America is because people went, what the hell are you doing, Hitchcock? You're blowing <laughs> up children. So I thought that's such an excellent point and it's come from D. And in my movie, it was just going to be a throwaway opening shock moment. So I changed it from a kid to a more grown up to a teenager, which was, yeah, and that, that came from D. And even when D came to, to Australia to shoot it, which was such an awesome thing for her to do, to come to Australia and <laughs> just take my word for it that I'm not insane and go <laughs> two hours into the country and just to a house. She did it. And I think when she first arrived, she wasn't prepared for how low budget this movie was. <laughs> She's, um, you know, low budget Hollywood is different to low budget in the middle of nowhere Australia. So she, I think she had a, the first couple of days she was dealing with the shock of how small this was. You know, it's like, if Peter Jackson was making Bad Taste and invited a famous Hollywood celebrity to come and be in it, it would be such a weird experience for them because Peter Jackson playing multiple characters and running around with a video camera by himself. You know, like it's such a weird thing for Dee. And um, she was just excellent. Like every scene she's in, first take is the only take we needed of Dee. So if we wow. had our focus right, that was the take that's in it. She would read it, and that's her process as well. She likes to respond as if it's happening to her on the spot. So she'll read the script. She'll do all her homework. She knows you know, what's going on. She'll do a line reading with the other actors. But then when it, we, we, she will not start acting until we roll up and we've got the camera on her. And then she does a, an amazing job. And if we didn't catch the focus on the first take, it was sad because, you know, that was – not that it was the best take because she could repeat doing it, but it's kind of like – um. And she talks about this in her book. She channels <laughs> – that sounds weird. But it's she channels things. Um, mm. She has a word for it that she does. Because she also does spiritual healing and stuff, which is, you know, beyond me. But uh, she would often just click on and be able to start channeling the character and the emotions and start crying and, you know, do amazing things when, when the camera's rolling. That's so, the kind of yeah, stuff we, I think you could to, probably only get from a veteran. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like uh, most – the entire rest of the cast are comedians. <laughs> um, I, and it's weird because it's not like Shaun of the Dead. I'm not making a comedy – crazy comedy horror. Mm -hmm. the, it just so happens that I've worked with lots of comedians and I find comedy actors are much more willing to do crazy things and yeah. to take notes you know, and to improvise Like because Dee's doing crazy things. And you need to improvise and respond, whereas a more rigid actor would go, uh, uh, she didn't do it the way it was supposed to be done, and she didn't say the correct words. You know, but <laughs> with an improvising with someone with comedy experience, they go, oh, okay. Because you used to, when you're on a stand-up stage at the audience, you've got to change it up, or you feel terrible for the rest of the night. So they're used to being able to change things up and, and, and as it happens. So, yeah, comedy actors are good for that. And so a lot of the other people are uh, in Australia known for being in comedy television. Um, so, so forgive our American ignorance, but, I mean, aside from Dee Wallace, we weren't really familiar with any of these people. Are these, like, fairly well-known actors? Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're mid-range in Australia. Okay. Um, yeah, but they're all comedy people in Australia, and we don't have – 
we don't have sitcoms in Australia like you guys do. We watch your sitcoms. Oh, so okay. <laughs> screw you guys <laughs> for giving us two and a half men. And um, oh, don't put that on us. Thank you. Go to hell. <laughs> no, we we take your sitcoms and play them. Plus, we take a lot of British comedy. So we only make about two or three comedy shows a year, and they only last for six episodes. So it's our comedy actors aren't massively famous in this country, but okay. um. There's a few in there that people would know. Like um, I can tell most Australians, this person's in it, and they'll know who that is. Got it. Okay. Yeah, but it does. It doesn't mean that they're famous and worshipped as big comedy actors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think that's about all we've got for you. Um, and, oh, good. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, it's been really great talking to you. Um, do you have anything? Um, Thanks, guys. Yeah, so uh, do you have any other like festival uh, screenings planned, or are you pretty much done with that phase? Yeah, it's been doing it for six months, and the last one was in Portland, actually, in Oregon, and I oh, okay. went to that uh, two, a week and a half ago. And it was great. I've never been to Portland. Cheers, everyone, <laughs> in Oregon. Um, and uh, I don't know, is that again? <laughs> do you guys, is there like a, a rivalry, rivalry between Washington and, and um Taylor's just sour because they still have a basketball team and we don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that sucks. Um, but yeah, there, there are more screenings popping up slowly. But I've worked out that there's like a hierarchy of screenings in the genre. And once you go to one of the highest ones, like Fantasia is one of the big ones. And so is something called uh, the one in Spain. Uh, I can never remember. But once you start to get to the big ones, no other big ones will want you. And, I mean, mm. that, that makes total sense because if you made a film that went to Sundance, Khan isn't going to show it. As, you know, Khan, Berlin, Toronto, all of those film, big film festivals around the world, they have a hierarchy and they can only premiere. Everyone wants a world premiere. So there's like a, a system of how it's supposed to go. You get into big, fancy ones, and then slowly you get into lesser ones. Mm. So. I'm I'm a I know that my film's now in the period of well it's not nice to say more underground festivals and smaller festivals and so it's doing a whole bunch of those and it'll probably do that for another six months but at the moment I've got nothing that I can talk about with you guys that I know is happening so I apologize for that yeah no problem we've got Crypticon in May <laughs> I mean if you're looking for to come to Seattle yeah if you want to send it over our way then I'm sure they'd be more than happy to show it. Oh man, I am writing it down now. Crypticon or gone? Crypticon. It's like cryptic I C O N. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. I will uh, enter that. So go and see it there. Cool. (laughs) Maybe we'll we'll see you there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, cheers. Um, Thanks. So, uh, do you have anything on on deck for your next project? Are you pretty much sticking with this for right now? Well, I am. <laughs> yeah, this is it. I'm just going to walk around with this and on a VHS tape. And if anyone asks what I do, I just give them this tape and say, "Watch this." <laughs> I did this once, <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped because it's brilliant. <laughs> no, I, um, I'm done. This is my opus. <laughs> no, no, I have plans to try and do um, a film a little bit in the system, um, which is sad Sell out. it probably means it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just—it's. I guess it's disheartening to make such a you know, to make a film and then to realize, oh yeah, but that doesn't mean people will get to see it. 
And that's my primary goal. I figure, what's the point of making something? Trying to tell a story if no one's listening to it. So I will be trying to make one that fits more in that world of mainstream, maybe? I don't know. Or maybe art, wanky art horror film. (laughs) Um, But I, I have an idea that's kind of a sequel to this movie, which is set in college campuses, and it's men are being killed instead of women, and it's kind of like a battle between MRAs and feminists. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but it's basically a Cletus-type character, who's the bad guy in the film, is killing men at college. And the men are going, cry, whinge, and angry. <laughs> and the, and the, the women, it's kind of based on uh, like the reverse of a rape-revenge movie from the 80s, where the women are just not being raped <laughs> and just cruising along at college doing their thing whilst the men are getting angry <laughs> about the fact that someone's killing men until eventually by the end of the film, the men go mental um, and start, you know, becoming angry and then things start happening to the women and it becomes like a, a weird ancient Greek play called uh, 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 based on a play where the women stop having sex with men and then the men go mental because of it which is great you know um, the, uh, it's kind of ideas at the moment it sounds like a mess but yeah it's going to be a college a college slasher film is the upshot of it which I, w- I also love college slasher films yeah that's a gender swap that I can get behind <laughs> thank you yeah, I'm going to really kill men real sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and gory, yeah. All right, well, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show, and thanks for letting us take a peek at Red Christmas. Um, oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Thanks. I, I hope you, um, you got through it <laughs> and uh, enjoyed just around the festive season as well. I yeah. always love watching Christmas horror films at Christmas time. Definitely. Yeah, uh, so cheers, guys, and um, I'll speak to you one day soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again. All right, thanks thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you. Take care. Bye. Bye. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small That was our longest ep- uh, not episode, but uh, interview. I don't think we've ever done a longer interview. Yeah, anywhere near that. <laughs> Your longest one topped out at like forty-five minutes. Yeah, and as it was good stuff, it was good. It was a good interview. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, insight into making independent films. Yeah, stuff uh, that I didn't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it it was things that I like. I knew just because I read a lot about independent directors. Um, but I feel like it's stuff that I we haven't heard people say before. Yeah. Like they kind of like Craig kind of like talked about the the seedy underbelly of like getting an independent film made and that was nice to hear. Well, nice and depressing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Uh and next up is our review of Red Christmas. Come on in. Oh, Jenny, my parents are stuck. It's in the oven. Presents in 15 minutes. 
This year, I thought before we opened presents, it would be nice if we went around and said what we're grateful for. Perhaps Peter could lead us in a prep? This isn't a goddamn church. And here I thought this would be so easy. I know how hard it can be starting a family late in life. Mm. You're on the clock, buddy. <laughs>so red christmas um i mean craig talked a lot about it in the interview so i'll try not to repeat too much of it um it's a story of diane and her family um four kids yes yes um and oh god it's uh susie jenny um jerry jerry <laughs> jerry like Jerry Butler from, from 300. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, I know who he is. I was trying to think of the other girl's name. Uh, Hope. Yeah. Um, they're all gathering up for Christmas, and this takes place in Australia, so it's the middle of summer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, which is something I wanted to talk about, wanted to talk to Craig about, but we just never really got there. Um, and uh, they're all gathering at their family home. And this is going to be the last Christmas they have there because Diane is selling off the house and she's just going to go travel Europe for a while. Um, her, She's a widow. Um, didn't really. S- did they say how long ago it was? No, it must have been tw- at least 20 years. 20 years. Um, yeah, and actually I should say the film opens up at an abortion clinic, a bunch of you know protesters outside you know, talking about how <laughs> they're carrying fucking... Um, Signs with coat hangers attached to them and say never again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically protesting an abortion clinic. Uh, and a person or man walks in to the abortion clinic and blows the bitch up with a suitcase bomb. Yep. Um, in and, your face, it explodes. <laughs> and as he's on his way out, under the guy or like in, in the panic he's making his way out and he finds this bucket with an aborted fetus in it i'm not sure that's how they do <laughs> abortions 
Okay, but, but I've never been I, in. I gotta ask. Them, so I don't know. Was there a full-grown hand that reached out to that bucket? It looked like a woman's hand. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was some kind of weird prosthetic hand, some kind of prop. But it was an adult hand. It looked like one. Yeah. Like I don't know if they maybe had like a bigger bucket in order to make the hand look smaller or what, but it definitely looked like an adult hand. Okay. <laughs> um. Because, yeah, right off the bat, I was like, what? <laughs> um, okay, so I guess it doesn't really cover exactly what happens after that. No, it just kind of jumps to 20 years later. Jumps to 20 years later. And, yeah, so Diane and her family are all gathering together. And all their kids are very different. Yeah. I say all or her kids, not there, but... um. So, I mean, there's the four kids. Um, it's, there's Susie and Jenny's husbands or fiancés, whoever they are, male friends. Um, Man friends. Yeah. And uh, Diane's son, Jerry, who has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And then Hope, who is adopted, but that never really comes into play. It's just kind of something that's there. Oh, I somehow missed that. Okay. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, Because I was trying to figure out why she didn't look like anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, because they were like, um, Jerry or Jenny comes in and she says, Jerry says, Oh, it's my favorite sister. And Hope just kind of says, Oh, thanks. And he's like, Sorry, Hope is my favorite adopted sister. (laughs) Um, I missed that. Okay. And Jerry's a fucking crack up. Yeah, he is. I love that guy. He's like, he's. It doesn't. It almost sounds like he doesn't speak it with an Australian accent. It's more of an English accent. At least what it sounds like, anyway. I couldn't tell. Um, and uh, it was he, funny to me though that D. Wallace, who is American, has all these Australian kids. Yeah, and like I, that's something else I wanted to ask um, Craig, but never really got around to it. It's like I wonder if that was a creative choice. Like, did he want Diane to be American, or just he had? D. Wallace on board, so she's American. <laughs> yeah, I was like waiting to see if she was going to have an Australian accent, mm-hmm. like a fake one, right? But well, I mean, the I think it was her brother, her brother, yeah, Joe. Oh, Joe, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't. He, I was he, also wondering if that was her brother or her her husband's brother. I assumed it was hers because why would? an American couple just to live in Australia. Yeah, that's true. I, the, the way I had it f- framed in my mind is she married an Australian, moved to Australia, and Joe was her brother. Because he was also wearing a white socks hat. Yeah. Uh, um, that would make sense. Uh, but yeah, Joe was played by uh, who I am who I understand is a pretty well-known actor in Australia is uh, Jeff Morrell or Morrell. Um, but he's Australian playing an uh, American. Oh, so all right. Anyway, um, so they're just sitting around having their family time on Christmas Day, and um, a man in a in a cloak, like a he looks like, looks looks like, like death. Yeah, he yeah he looks like uh, the ghost of Christmas future. Yeah, um, shows up at their door, and. He has a letter addressed to mother in his hand. Um, and he, he speaks very strangely. Like like maybe his mouth isn't 
developed correctly or something. And he's also ra- like in wraps, like a like a mummy. Yeah. Um, I mean, Craig said in the interview he was inspired by the Elephant Man. Right. Yeah. Um, and he says he wants to read. He he says I would like to read my letter and you know Diane because he's not. He starts coughing and hacking. Look like he's about to fall over. So he Diane invites him in. And he keeps saying he wants to read his letter. And he re- finally does and reveals that he was the product of a uh, failed abortion. Um, and he was raised by the man who blew up the abortion clinic. And this strikes a chord with Diane. And we as the audience know right away she was the woman getting the abortion in the clinic when it blew up. And this is her believed to be aborted son who was survived and was raised by the religious nut zealot. Yeah. That, um, blew up the, the clinic. Um, he comes in and like they, they're saying that they're doing Christmas and they're about to exchange presents and he doesn't know what presents are because he's never received one. Yeah. Never had a Christmas. And so she gives her, (laughs) Diane gives him a, a jar of uh, peanuts, yeah, as a gift. That's she. Like, she hands it to him, and it's you know wrapped in this gold wrapping paper. And he's like, "It's beautiful." Yeah, and they're like, "You have to open it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joe's like, "You have to take off the paper." He's like, "Why?" Why? <laughs> um, and yeah, so he reads the letter and reveals that he's Diane's awarded son. Of course, her kids are a little. In, in the weeds about that. They don't really know what's going on. And but she they, plays it off as he's just like this religious nut who's, you know, pushing anti-abortion agenda. Right. Um, and so she throws his ass out, <laughs> throws his fucking jar of peanuts in his head. <laughs> so fucked up. Joe, like, has him by the shoulders, throws him out of the house, and he falls on the ground. <laughs> like Jazzy Jeff style. Yeah. <laughs> And then Diane throws a fucking jar, full <laughs> jar of peanuts, a glass jar of peanuts at his fucking head. Yep. It's like, that probably wasn't supposed to be as funny as I thought it was, <laughs> but... Um, but you're a shithead. Yeah, I am a shit. <laughs> so, the, both parties go about their business. Like, he wanders off into the woods, and he's having just a fucking mental breakdown. Like, all he wanted was his mother's acceptance. Uh, wanted to know. Like, basically, all he wanted was to know that she loved him. And she threw him out of the house. And threw uh, a jar of peanuts at his head. So he's in the woods just freaking out. Throwing a fit. <laughs> throwing a fit about nothing. <laughs> throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, back at the house, the family, they're just having a good time. Drinking and partying drinking on christmas (laughs) um and that's when you can almost see cletus sorry this is the 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 man in the shroud uh his name is cletus it's not a name i expected to hear come out of australia i know um makes you think of cletus the slack jod yokel (laughs) the simpsons um you can almost see, like, when he has his, like, his break. And he resolves that he's going to go back to the house with an axe 
and just start laying waste all godlike. Indeed. Uh, should mention that because he was really raised by a religious zealot, he has a lot of crazy religious thoughts in his head. And um, there's, there's a lot of, as Craig mentioned, there's a lot of religious subtext um, in this movie. Uh, and from my understanding, what he said, it didn't sound like he in, like intended to make like a fully political movie. He knew there were political attributes of it, but this is the type of stuff that is like there's no middle ground. Yeah. Uh, regardless of how you present it, it's going to piss somebody off on one <laughs> end or the other. But I like how he did it and like even talked about it in the interview, how he he played both sides. Mm-hmm. He's like, I didn't want people to say, you know, this is a pro-choice movie or a pro-life movie or a, you know, religious movie. He's like, so I just, you know, covered all the bases and let you figure it out. Right. And, you know, Susie and her husband are religious people. He's, he's a pastor or a reverend or something. Um, and, uh, so there's definitely a, a lot of religious subject matter in this um anyway, yeah. it, it was funny hearing craig talk about how the priest in the movie is gay because it's not like it's not like an overt thing no it's, it's really subtle yeah and like i i was actually curious about it so to hear him actually come out and say that the priest was gay i was like oh well that answers that yeah like you know i watched this movie twice because i felt like when i watched it the first time i was missing stuff like I just wasn't absorbing everything that was happening. Okay. So I watched it again, and yeah, the second viewing, there's a part where, um, shit, what's his, what's what's uh, Jenny's husband's name? Scott. Scott. Like her, he and Jenny are fucking in the bathroom, and dude is Peter. Is that Peter, him? yeah. He's like looking in Pizza. on him. <laughs> He's looking in on him, and then he goes in the closet and starts spanking it. And it's like, what is he beating it up to? And then you realize, oh, all he saw was Scott's bare ass. Yeah. And then, but it was like he saw people fucking, so you don't really think about it. It's like, oh, it's people fucking. It's... Yeah, and he's you know probably a very uh, chase, not chase, but like uh, repressed. Oh yeah, sexually. Um. And, but then later on, he's out, and Scott's chopping wood because people have fires in the middle of summer. <laughs> <laughs> That just occurred to me. <laughs> um, Scott's out there chopping wood, and Peter's definitely looking at his ass. Yeah, and Jenny comes out and even calls like, him out. Calls on him it. out on it. Yeah. Um. And they're like, "Hey, father, want to smoke this doobie?" Yeah. And <laughs> uh, yeah, Jenny is kind of a shitty person. A little bit. They're all they're all they're kind all of shitty, shitty in, their, in their own way. Like even Diane. Like, you want to kind of root for her, but she's kind of a shitty person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I I read a lot of reviews about this movie because I had kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, there was a lot of negativity about it. In what way? Just people saying it's not a good movie. Oh. Um, I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, I didn't problem with like like i said the part of the reason i watched it twice was because i watched it i'm like eh. but then i said well it's like how much can i even actually remember about what i just watched 
so I watched it again so I could actually commit it to memory. It's always awkward when we book guests for the show. And we're not sure if it's going to be good or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who are making movies that we're reviewing on the show that we haven't watched yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always worried. Like, we're going to review, we're going to interview them, and then we're going to, they're going to listen to the show because we interviewed them. Then we're trying to be like, this movie was so fucking dumb. <laughs> but it's not, not the case with this one. No, I enjoyed this. Um, I'm actually fairly surprised to hear that so many people didn't. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about how it's, um, uh, it was bad acting, which I didn't see. I thought everybody did a really good job. Yeah. And it's like I told Craig, I mean, I'm a visual person. Like, if you show me something that's visually attractive, other things kind of fall by the wayside. I can, I can get through a lot of bad movies be, if they're good, fun to look at. You know? Except for the Neon Demon. Right. That was just pretentious and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh but no, I thought everybody did a really good job acting. Um, the story was... A lot of people talked about it being like... Um, like it, it, it jumping from position to position, like as far as where it stood. But he, he did that on purpose. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, a lot of criticisms that I just didn't understand. I feel like he didn't really like... To me, it didn't feel like he jumped from position to position where it was like, oh, well, this he's pro-choice, but now he's pro-life. To me, it just, it almost seemed like he didn't really take a stance. Like, it didn't, it wasn't, he didn't have a message mm -hmm. that, you know, about abortion or religion or anything. He just, like you said, he played both sides. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to convey a message either way. It's just, that's just what it was. Right. Um. Yeah, and it, like, you know, in, a, in our interview, I had a list of questions, and one of my questions was, so are you pro-choice or pro-life? And I ended up not asking it because, like, it didn't really matter. Yeah, like, it, it, whatever side he falls on, like you said, we didn't ask him, but whatever side he falls on, it wasn't pushed in the movie. Right. Um, there was no agenda. You know, a lot of people, like, my, my issues with it, technical okay um my, my, i mean as far as my criticisms go uh a lot of the camera work was kind of shoddy camera work was a little shaky at times um there's a lot of i don't know if he was going for like a dutch angle at times but normally like a dutch angle is very tight this was just more like a wide shot but crooked yeah there was a lot of that and i it seemed different Kind of, it was like I didn't really know what he was trying to convey with it. He had a lot of low angles. Something that I didn't understand. There seemed to be a weird obsession with feet in this movie. I didn't pick up on that. No, no. There were there was a lot of focus on feet. Uh, like when one character gets killed. Out in the front yard. Okay, uh, yeah, that's the, the the only thing that's coming to my mind. And Ginny is walking around barefoot pretty much the entire movie, and there's a lot of focus on her feet a few times with it, like a few times in the movie. Uh, and near the end, there's she's, a, she's the pregnant one, right? Yeah, like okay, that makes sense then, because your feet get puffy wearing shoes. Could well, yeah, yeah. I'm not questioning why she had no shoes on. Oh, okay. Questioning why there was so much focus on her feet. <laughs> Maybe Craig's got a feet thing. I don't know. Oh, maybe. He's got that Rex Ryan syndrome. 
Um, Syndrome? <laughs> like it's a disease? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, as far as the film itself, I didn't really have a lot of problem with it. I, I thought it was, I thought it looked really well. I mean, aside from, again, aside from the camera issues and the weird shots and the out-of-focus shots and, sh- like, too much shaky cam, um, I thought it, like, the steady shots looked good. Um, we, we talked about the interview, his use of color. The, yeah, well, was that great. was really good. I really liked that. Um, and I thought that really added to the the, the vintage feel of it. Yeah. Um, like, it really made it look like an 80s slasher movie. Because, I mean, he used to refer to it as Suspiria, which is yeah. accurate. But um, as soon as he said that, it, like, clicked. Like, I, I didn't make that connection while watching it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he said it, I was like, Yep, totally see that. Yeah. Um, and uh, practical effects. Yeah. Because, like, there's one where I wasn't sure. It was too quick to be able to tell one way or the other. Um, but as far as I could tell, all of it was, it was all practical effects. Seemed to be. Um, which I, you know don't have to tell you guys regular listeners how much I fucking love practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just some of the deaths were like awesome. <laughs> like uh, someone just straight gets cut in half, like yeah. lengthwise. <laughs> and that was awesome. That was um, awesome. Somebody gets a fucking bear trap on their head. Yeah. That was that heinous. was killer. I fucking loved that. Um, and I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's like I feel like I've seen it before, probably, but just the way it looked, it was like backlit with like blue and red, and it just looked awesome. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of something, and about it was it. so quick. Yeah, uh, and it's just like spouting blood, like a fucking sprinkler fountain, or like yeah, you know, one of those sprinklers you put on your lawn. Yeah, that oscillates or. Yeah. I'm just describing like every sprinkler on the planet. I don't <laughs> You know, like a sprinkler. <laughs> you know, one of those things that sprinkles, things sprinkles, sprinkles water. <laughs> oh fuck. Um but no that that reminded me like uh something at a creep show. Oh yeah. Just you know, in creep show when they when they have like a death scene, everything got blue and red. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah, good call. Um Yeah. And then uh, the end isn't quite what you expect. No, it's really not. Like I'm, um, like I was, I was su- surprised I, about it. I guess. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, <laughs> trying to figure out the best way to talk about it without talking about right. it. Um, but I guess I, uh, I'm trying to think about what he has revealed about the movie himself, so <laughs> so I can feel better about saying it yeah but he didn't say anything about the end not in our interview i'm, I'm thinking about like other oh. things but yeah i thought the the end was surprising um yeah i don't know i don't know how else to say it but yeah <laughs> surprising not it was surprising uh it was it's, real surprising it surprised me it surprised me in a surprising it's, way it's surprising nature <laughs> And I was all like, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but it, it's not something that you see in a lot of horror movies. No. Um, but it's it's almost refreshing when you do. Yeah. Because, like you said, like a lot of them don't end that way. They don't have the balls to do that. Yeah. Um, so. Marbles? Um, what? Marbles? Marbles? Marbles! Huevos? Uh, so, like in our interview, we talked about how Craig sees these as a uh, uh, horror, not horror, damn it, can't get my thoughts together, a comedy background. So being that he's never done horror before, I feel like he had a real almost fuck it style. Yeah. Like he's just like, I'm going to do this off the wall shit. Nobody's going to stop me. <laughs> Fair. And, and it worked out really well. I, yeah. I felt. And for somebody who has such a comedic background, like there's not a lot of comedy in this movie. Not really. No, it's really like quick hitter stuff. Yeah. Like I think probably Joe is the comic relief. It's fairly dry for the most part too. Yeah. And something I really admired, uh, and maybe this is my liberal side showing, but he didn't make a joke out of Jerry. Yeah. Which was, was good because it's, it's so easy to do that. Somebody with, uh, some kind of, um, uh, mental handicap. Yeah. Or, um, I don't know. Is that the PC term? I don't know. <laughs> um, um, it it almost feel or like it to me, anyways. It almost felt like he had Jerry in there to kind of offset the fact that Cletus had Down syndrome. Because mm-hmm. like I could see a lot of people being like, "How can you make the killer have Down syndrome? That's so offensive." Right. So I feel like having Jerry there. Who you know is that he he has Down syndrome and they kept him and he's well adjusted and it's kind of it kind of offsets that yeah and and Diane's reason for aborting I feel like I mean I'm not a woman but I I feel like that would speak to a lot of women yeah like Diane's husband was dying of cancer right it's cancer they, yeah they said that she, she said he was he was in chemo okay he's dying of cancer. She was pregnant with another Down syndrome child, and she just said, I can't do this again, especially on my own. Yeah. And it's like, you know, unless you are like one of those super ultra right wing people, there's like, no, abortion is absolutely wrong in every circumstance. Or if you're like Craig, who thinks abortion is okay up until age three. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Then, I mean, that's got to speak to you. Yeah. It speaks to me, uh, knowing that, like, you know, my brother was sick with cystic fibrosis. That's something that is in my blood. And if it's in my wife's blood, then there's a a real possibility that we could have a CF kid. Is that something they can determine in utero? Uh, I believe so. Um Yes, because I think my sister was tested for it in your utero. utero. I think I could be totally wrong about that. I'm not. I'm not on my CF game right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, knowing that that's a possibility, it you know it makes my wife and I have to ask a lot of questions. You know, yeah, about what how we what kind of parents we want to be. Anyway, um, I got real heavy. Huh? I got real heavy for a minute. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, something something that you could take so lightly, like a horror movie, 
sometimes it, it it speaks to you, you know. Yeah. Um. So I could definitely relate on a certain level. Um. Anything else? Um. No, I don't think so. Okay. The the I think my my biggest complaint. So you, so you do have something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay yes i do my biggest complaint would be that i wish there had been that more of the kills had been more prominent on screen yeah um and i don't know if you like my the list of questions we had for craig that was another one i didn't get around to asking is like i wonder if that was just strictly like a budgetary thing see I, my instinct is to say yes but then I look at Secret Santa that had a budget of $4,000 and had almost every kill scene on screen. True. Obviously, they didn't look as good as the ones in this, but. Yeah. I mean, do we even know how much, what kind of budget they had? No. Hmm. Um, I wonder if that's something we can look up. wonder if it's what? So I wonder if that's something we can look up. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Got distracted. Kill scenes. Right. Um, you know, something, uh, a movie that is really oftentimes considered a really violent and gory movie is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But most of, most of that violence takes place off screen. Yeah. Or like out of sight. Um. So I don't know if maybe there was some inspiration there. Maybe. Or if nothing else, just as a money-saving inspiration. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, most of the time that's the case. But um, but some of the, I mean, all the deaths, they were pretty grim. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess it's not a, I don't know, is, you think it's a spoiler to mention how people die? I think if you don't mention who, I think you're fine. Okay, well. I mean, I guess, yeah, we've already talked about a couple. Uh, yeah, somebody gets cut in half lengthwise. Bear trap on the head. Somebody gets a fucking umbrella through their head. Yeah, death by then, umbrella. And then it opens. All I could think of was fucking uh, really awful movies. Right. Death by umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my favorite. I mean, like, and it... I love that when it, when it pops open, you can hear the, the viscera just go flying. Yeah, scattering, yeah. Um... Yeah, a lot of good stuff, um, and I was, I, I watched this movie the first time, then I read a lot about it, I read interviews with Craig, um, I read reviews about it, just so I can get a better feel for it, mm -hmm. and honestly, it was a little discouraging, then I watched it again, I'm like, I don't understand what these people are bitching about, like, I don't get the neg negative Yeah, I don't either, reviews. I liked it. Yeah. Um, so all that being said, uh, I got a seven. Yeah. Likewise. All right. Give it the uh, the George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hopefully, people got that. My dad got it. Did your dad listen? Probably not. <laughs> That's like a. Like how my dad has been a guest on the show 
three times, four times, at least three, yeah, if not four. And he the only episode he listens to are the ones he's on. He does listen to the ones he's on, though. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should get my dad on here. He won't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> my dad doesn't watch horror. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's gonna do it for us here, right? Uh, we yeah, anything that's else? That's it. Okay. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed our two-part Christmas spectacular party dance party dance party USA. <laughs> <laughs> We, we may or may not have been dancing to the Skype hold music earlier today. Oh, we definitely were. <laughs> That's something we should have put on Patreon. <laughs> we had to do it like five times because the call kept dropping. Um, anyway. So, we'll be back here in the new year um, with a brand new episode for you. Yep. Grave Plot Awards. Don't forget to go to our website and check that out and vote for your favorites. Um, where else can they find us, Taylor? Uh, they can find us on Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash greatplotpodcast. Uh, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, make sure you leave us a review and a rating if you're on one of those places that allows you to do that. <laughs> We're also on uh, every social network except Pinterest, uh, because fuck Pinterest. <laughs> I don't get I'm just, it. I'm just repeating myself again. <laughs> we just did this. Um, uh, where else are we? We're we're on like all the podcast sites. Every one of. Have them. you heard of Podcat? Podcat, no. Yeah, it's a site that like breaks down what people talk about on shows. So okay. like, it, I I didn't put us on there, but I don't know. We're uh, we're on there. Apparently, the most common thing we talk about is Rob Zombie. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> uh, okay, so and next episode we're going to be watching uh, Abattoir. And the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yes. I am excited to see the autopsy of Jane Doe. And I'm excited to see Abattoir. And yeah, I'm excited to see that because we've been wanting to watch it for so long. Yeah. Like we talked about that what two years ago? Probably, yeah. yeah. Alright, guys. So we'll be back in a little less than two weeks, I guess. Uh being that this is Friday. Mm. Yes. Uh wish you all a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. I don't know, has that passed already? I have no idea. I I've been following this year. Huh? I haven't been following this year. <laughs> you, you typically follow Hanukkah? No. Okay. <laughs> Except for that one time it was on Thanksgiving. That was weird. Yeah, that was weird. It's like, what are you doing in November? Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, Joyous Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip-flop. <laughs> Stop right. trying to make catch you on the flip-flop happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> God, this is falling apart. I need to end this. Okay, we'll catch you again, guys. Till then, I'm Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Great Plot Podcast. We're all a little dead inside. You should have said we're all a little merry inside. We're merry as hell. Merry as fuck inside. <laughs> Deep inside. Merry Christmas, you bunch of whores. <laughs>
shoulder to cry on.